In this episode, we're going to look closely at exactly what we do in the classroom with our students. What does it look like in the past? What does it look like now? And how can we build on that moving forward? Are you a language teacher looking for some reassurance that what you're doing in the classroom is on the right track? Or maybe you're looking for some ways to teach even more effectively. If you're one or the other or somewhere in between, you've landed in the right place. This is the World Language Classroom Podcast with your host, me, Joshua Cabral. You're about to get tips, tools, and resources so that your students continue to rise in proficiency and communicate with confidence. Let's jump in. Vamos, allons-y. Hello, my friends, and I hope you are ready to jump in to our topic today, which is going to really be looking at sort of what's been going on in our classrooms for the last 50, 60 years, and what things do we want to keep doing, which things do we want to maybe push aside or do a little differently or just kind of remove altogether. So as we are going through looking at the different ways language teachers have been approaching their teaching, there are going to be certain ways that we've gone about it that are still based in what things looked like in the 50s and the 60s when behaviorism was the way of approaching language teaching at that time. And we'll see that even though we've refuted a lot of that and we've moved on from it, that some of our textbooks and curriculum are still based on that kind of pedagogy. Even if your textbook says like the newest edition is from 2018 or something like that, the original pedagogy is maybe from the mid to late 90s, the early 2000s. So we want to make sure that what we are doing in the classroom is really reflective of how we've kind of transformed our teaching and revolutionized our teaching and evolved our teaching in the last sort of decade or so. So in episode two, I did a deep dive into the three major schools in the last 50 years of approaching language teaching. And it started with behaviorism in the 50s, 60s, and then moved on to innateism with the cognitive revolution and brought us into sort of our current practice, which is social interactionism. So I'll do a little brief uh, recap of each one of those schools and what language teaching actually looked like and to see if we're still doing things that way, if we want to continue or not. But if you want to do a deep dive to really understand those three schools and you haven't listened to episode two, I highly recommend you go back and give that a listen. So let's start with behaviorism. And behaviorism, the name that always comes up is Pavlov and Skinner and Pavlov and his salivating dogs. And the whole idea with behaviorism was the habit formation. So you say something as a first language learner or a second language learner, and it's met with some kind of feedback, uh, either that it's correct or incorrect, so negative or positive feedback. And if it's positive feedback, you keep doing it. And if it's negative feedback, you don't do it anymore. You try to say every possible thing you could say in your language, get that feedback, and you build all of those habits. And you're a blank slate, so you don't bring any real cognition to it. You're just forming these habits of language learning. So when that kind of took hold in the classroom, in the language classroom, the whole idea of the audiolingual method was very prominent at the time. And in the audiolingual method, lessons often began with a sample dialogue. 
that you either uh, read or you listened to, and you would recite it. So you'd hear a sentence, and you'd recite it, you'd recite it, and you'd memorize it. So there's lots of repetition, maybe some substitution, where you take words out, add new words in, and lots of translation to make sure that you were understanding it between the second language and the first language. And so the whole idea of it was that it was forming habits through this kind of drilling technique. So the whole idea of it was that you were forming these habits in your mind, that you were learning all of these phrases and sentences and words, and you would use them in that same order as you heard something and you wanted to engage in a conversation that you would find that one sentence and place it in the conversation, wait for the next thing. Oh, okay, let me pull that sentence out, put it in there. And so this whole audiolingual method was based on that, where you would memorize these dialogues so that they would become all memorized language chunks and sentences in your brain. Now, it kind of had some offshoots at the time, uh, some sort of little, I don't know if you want to call them like esoteric, but they were these offshoots of audiolingualism and the behaviorism technique. Like there was one called Suggestopedia, which was big in Bulgaria. Um, and then in Egypt, there was the silent way. Um, and so these sort of schools of thought. So in Suggestopedia, it was uh, uh, Lazanov was the person who was uh, associated with that. And the silent way was uh, Gatenyo. Um, and so it was basically this suggestopedia was you would just sort of sit in a comfy chair and listen to language and it would all just kind of go into your head all memorized and the silent way is you wouldn't speak you would only listen to language and then one day you would just output this language based on everything you had heard and formed all these habits in your mind so it sounds kind of i don't know silly at this point but that was the whole idea behind behaviorism. So you just needed to be forming all of these habits. So if you look at your classroom now, when it comes to sort of learning and memorizing dialogues and presenting dialogues, it's a behaviorist way of going about it. And if you want to embrace behaviorism, you know, keep at it. But if you want to move on to where we are with social interactionism now, we want to leave some of that stuff behind. So following behaviorism, which is in the 50s, 1950s, as we went through to the late 50s, early 60s, we had the cognitive revolution. And during the cognitive revolution, the whole idea of language was this cognitive process. It wasn't you arriving with a blank slate and you just learn these habits like behaviorists, you were approaching it from this brain function, this cognitive function of language. And so for the first time, the four principal language skills of listening, speaking, reading, and writing were brought into focus. So that wasn't necessarily the focus with behaviorists and behaviorism. So what became really important for the innatus and the cognitive revolution was this comprehensible auditory input. So you would listen to language and understand it. So it became really important. And then you would then use that to speak in the target language. Again, the speaking was something that was more important, more of a focus than with behaviorists. Now, also, though, 
in this cognitive revolution because it was really looking at the brain and function that learning about the language was overemphasized. And it was very teacher-centered. So the teacher was sort of like the alpha teacher standing in front of the classroom explaining everything. And it wasn't so student-focused. And it was learning about grammar and structure and how the language worked and and thinking about it, therefore the cognition. So it was a departure from the behaviorists who were definitely seeing everything as memorize all the language and then use it as you see fit. And then we had the cognitive revolution and the innatists that were really looking at the, not necessarily even the innatists. I don't even think we're there yet. The cognitive revolution was just saying that you're actually bringing some brain power to this whole process and looking at the language skills and therefore let's learn about the language. Then that sort of gave way to the innatists. And the name that we associate with the Anatus many times is Chomsky. Now, Chomsky was, he was definitely, yes, the sort of the forefather of the Anatus approach, but, or the school of thinking, but very much a cognivist as well. And so he introduced this theory of the language acquisition device, the LAD, which is this subconscious mechanism of the brain that acquires language. And so, yes, it's subconscious, so it's not very active, and that you have this universal grammar in your brain. And as you hear language around you, it's sort of brought into that language acquisition device, and it sort of flips these switches. Um, Again, if you want to really get into the LAD and universal grammar, go back to episode two. But for our purposes here, Chomsky was just saying that there's this place in the brain that's very specific to language learning and contains language universals. So a very cognitive approach to language. But it is subconscious, remember. And so coming out of that, we had initially the natural approach, which was Tracy Terrell. And Stephen Krashen as well was involved in this. And this is an acquisition-focused approach that sees communicative competence as the goal. So you're, you're actually using the language. It is communicative. And so they kind of looked at it as there were these three stages that you went through um, as you acquired language from this cognitive innatist approach. And the first thing is oral comprehension. A-U-R-A-L, so listening comprehension. So when you understand the language, that is the first phase. And then you move on to early speech production. So you start to have output, language output, based on that input that went into your language acquisition device, and you're able to construct with language, create with language, and then output early speech production, and then moving on to speech activity, where you're actually communicating with the language. So all of this was fostering a natural approach to language acquisition. So you can see here that the focus is not about the language, as the early innatists were doing, but actually just using the language. And so comprehension should precede the production in speech. We're still at that, we're still in that school now, definitely. But this was early on, thinking that before there's output of language, that you need to understand the language. And 
it should be that spoken language output should be allowed to emerge in natural stages and progressions and not sort of forced along the way. So along with that, we have this idea of lowering what we call the affective filter. So that's sort of your, I guess, your anxiety about language, your fear of language, your your heightened filter about language output, sort of like just that fear factor when it comes to language. And if you have that high affective filter, then you're not going to be in a comfortable place using language. So the, the focus of this was to have a low affective filter. And part of that was not that Uh, expectation that there would be early emergence of speech, that you're going to sort of let it go and emerge on a way that seems more um, organic based on what you're able to understand in the language. And so as that language is coming out, errors in speech are not corrected out loud. Whereas in a behaviorist approach, everything was about correct language. So you would say something, get positive, negative feedback, do the things, again, that got positive feedback. Don't do the things that got negative feedback. Whereas here in the innatist, the natural approach, errors in speech are not corrected out loud. So this also means that in that whole process, in this communicative situation, that the classroom is very student-centered with the teacher allowing for students to output the language more often on their own. Behaviorist, very teacher-centered. Innatus, very student-centered. So formal sequencing of grammar concepts is definitely kept to a minimum, whereas the early innatus in learning about the language, the cognitive revolution folks, they would probably do the very heavy focus on the grammatical structure of the language, whereas the innatus where, you know, there's going to be a, a natural order of language acquisition, so we want it to be... Uh, not so focused on grammatical concepts, but more on using the language. So you can see there's a big change in what classrooms look like be- between the behaviorists and then the innatists. And then we had our third, we have, I should say, because we're currently here, in the world of social interactionism. Social interactionism is based on the idea of communicative competence, Uh, which was a term coined by Del Himes. And that's really saying that you are able to use the language in a communicative social construct. And that was going back uh, to the work, early work in the, the turn of the, you know, the 20th century, early 1900s, the work of uh, Lev Vygotsky in looking at uh, sociology and, and social interactionism. So in this whole concept of social interactionism, we have where we are today, which is our whole concept of communicative language teaching. So in communicative language teaching, we definitely lean on and pull from the innatist approach. But with the innatist approach, there wasn't a big focus on using the language in social situations, which is the whole point of using a language. It was mostly focused on the fact that it was a cognitive subconscious process of language developing, but not the social construct of it. Very different than behaviorism, which did neither of those things. 
So here within the communicative language teaching realm, we make real communication the focus of language learning. So we provide opportunities for learners to experiment and try out what they know. So yes, we are saying that it is a subconscious function, brain function of language acquisition happening. But beyond that, we have to have it happen in a social situation because language is always used in a social realm. It's not used sort of in a vacuum, devoid of culture or social expectations. Now, the innatists were mostly just focused on the cognitive aspect of language learning. So yes, we want to do that, but also, and particularly when we're talking about comprehensible input and the language being comprehensible, we want it to be in a socially appropriate situation as well. So providing opportunities for learners to to use the language has become incredibly important in the social interactionist model. And so we what we're doing is we're allowing our students, our learners, the opportunity to develop both accuracy and fluency. So it's the two things there. It's not, yes, we are working towards language accuracy. There's this idea in in the communicative language classroom that accuracy is secondary. You have to have a certain level of language accuracy to get your message across and to be able to interact with the language. So yes, we want to develop accuracy, but also an area of fluency with the language and communicative competence with the language. And there have been... Different methods that have come out based on this, Uh, for example, we have TPR, Total Physical Response, TPRS, the teaching reading through, uh, teaching proficiency through reading and storytelling, Um, OWL, Organic World Language, we have AIM, the Accelerated Integrated Method, there are lots of them out there. So in terms of an approach to language, we have our major schools, behaviorism, innateism, social interactionism, then with In that approach, we have different methods. So in our social interactionist world uh, that we're in right now, we have things like OWL and TPR, which are methods to go about that. Now, the communicative language classroom is a big concept to take on. And so in the next episode, um, in the next episode of the podcast, I'm going to devote the entire time to really talking about what communicative language teaching is. It's a buzzword. It's definitely a thing that lots of world language teachers are talking about. So it's going to be important to devote an entire episode to having a solid understanding of exactly what that is and how we can be doing it. For now, I want to reflect back on these three schools of thought when it comes to language teaching and learning. We have the behaviorists, so a lot of memorizing dialogues so that you are creating language habits. So if you want to embrace behaviorism, which I would not recommend, then that's the way you want to go about it. If you're doing that in your classroom, think about if your goal is to be able to communicate with the language and you're doing something that is developed in the behaviorist realm, then it's perhaps not the most productive thing to be doing with our time with students. Then we have the innatist approach, which was really focused on language structure um, in terms of the um, 
the structure, the way the brain structures language in a subconscious uh, realm. And if we are just doing that, just the comprehensible input and just keeping it there without social interaction with the language, then yes, if you want to embrace, embrace the innatist approach, then there is you should be. Again, I would recommend moving ahead to the social interactionist approach, which means drawing on the core findings of innateism, but putting it in a social interaction kind of situation in the classroom. So those are the three schools. Those are things that are being done. So think about what you're doing in your classroom and stay tuned for the next episode where I'm going to dive deeply into the whole concept of communicative language teaching and what that looks like, what it draws on, and to make sure that moving forward as we reference it, that it makes sense and that we're all on the same page in terms of what that means. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. I always appreciate the opportunity to be in your earbuds or driving in the car with you wherever I am, wherever we are right now. Looking forward to hanging out with you again really soon. Bye for now. You've been listening to the World Language Classroom Podcast. Be sure to follow or subscribe wherever you're listening so you don't miss a single episode. Let's continue the conversation on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at WL Classroom. You can also see over 250 blog posts about language teaching at, you guessed it, wlclassroom.com.